Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling themes and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. And I'm Brittany. And this week, we'll be exploring the theme of race in Star Wars. To start off with, we are going to share a quote when our heroes have rescued Princess Leia and are looking to escape the Death Star. Will somebody get this big walking carpet out of my way? Rude, Leia. Yeah, pretty rude. Pretty racist. Or speciesist? Yeah, we're kind of combining those things. Like, we can talk about both in this episode because of how Star Wars is structured. Yeah, we thought this was a good example of one of the times when a character is demeaned because of their physical characteristics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. When you're a kid and you're watching it, you're like, oh, ha, 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 laugh about it. But, I mean, just like that. Oh, ha, 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 that's how I laughed when I was a kid. Yeah. Same. Good. But then... When you look back on it, you're like, ooh. So sad. He wasn't even the one arguing with her before that. It right? was Han. Yeah. And then to just have people throw that at you when you were literally doing nothing. I mean, regardless, even if you were doing something, someone shouldn't be disparaging you because of what you look like. And like, not just what you look like, but also what your whole people group looks mm-hmm. like. Yeah. So, way is great in a lot of ways, but. Not here. Not here. No, no. We did, though, look for other quotes that dealt more explicitly with (laughs) race and structural racism and other kinds of things. There weren't any. We didn't find any. (laughs) Um, Which I think is worth mentioning because (laughs) it's a way that we can preface this conversation, talk about how Star Wars doesn't really explicitly explore these in the movies. There are places in the Mm -hmm. shows and books and other expanded universe kinds of things that think get into it further. There are a couple of great quotes in particular by Grand Moff Tarkin that really could have worked, but were not in any of the movies. From what? From books like Tarkin or Mm. other kinds of conversations that he's had where he explicitly talks about how non-humans are useful tools, but that I think one of the, the quotes I saw was that the future is humanity. So there's that kind of stuff out there, but not really in the movies. Yeah, yeah. But... I'm excited for our conversation regardless to see kind of where, where we pull it out of, uh, of Star Wars. And so why out don't... of our butts? <laughs> out of their butts. Uh, so what character's butt are you going to be pulling something out of? Oh, no, don't say it that way. Now I don't want to talk about the character because that just... No. Uh, so we're going to be talking about a character that I really appreciate, Bodhi from Rogue One and he is the former Imperial cargo pilot that defects from the Empire and goes to bring this like crucial information to Saw Gerrera about there being a flaw in in the Death Star plans. And so the character Bodhi is played by Rizwan Ahmed and he's British Pakistani And so I'll go into a little bit of his racial background and ethnic background just because it's relevant. His parents immigrated from Western Pakistan. And if you're not aware, Pakistan is actually the second, has the second largest Muslim population in the world and is sometimes considered a part of the Middle East um, partially because of that. The actor, he was the first Muslim and first Asian to win a leading acting Emmy. He was the first Muslim to be nominated for Best Actor, which like just recently happened, Uh you know? Yeah. 
So I think it's it's important and it's relevant because his character in Rogue One, basically first he's entrusted by Galen Erso to deliver this crucial message that could take down the Empire, at the very least the Death Star. And he risks his life to defect, to get the message to Sagrera, and then later... He's treated great. Well, yeah, and then later, to also he also risks his life to transmit the Death Star plans mm. to Leia's ship, which if they didn't get to Leia's ship, then all of it would have been moot anyway. Yeah. And yeah, he is immediately distrusted. From as soon as he comes on the scene, Sagrera's people drag him in. Sagrera does not trust him, and he tortures him to see if he's telling the truth and is actually helping those resisting the Empire. Mm -hmm. So I think it's significant because, one, is the first time we see someone who's South Asian, and the first time we see someone who's Muslim that I know of cast in a Star Wars movie. Mm -hmm. At least as a, as a main character. Is anyone who has a name. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that's important in the United States. I mean, sure, Star Wars is popular around the world, but these movies are being made in the United States, and the United States is the biggest market for this, right? And so the U.S., as we know, is terrible when it comes to torture. Guantanamo Bay was established by the U.S. in the name of fighting terrorism. Mm -hmm. So this happened after September 11th, terrorist attacks. And since then, hundreds of people have been held there and suffered what, you know, the U.S. calls enhanced interrogation techniques, but is torture. And, you know, even to this day, the majority of Americans believe that torture can be justified to mm. exact information from suspected terrorists, even though studies have shown over and over again that any information gotten from people through torture is unreliable because they're being tortured and they will say whatever to get you to stop torturing them. Yeah. So I think having this statement of somebody who, sure, the character isn't Muslim, but the person who is playing this character is. And even though he's South Asian slash maybe some people consider Central Asian or Middle Eastern, most of the people who would be Islamophobic and bigoted <laughs> wouldn't necessarily know the difference anyway. And right? our war in Afghanistan yeah. crosses the borders into Pakistan. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it is significant to have this character who is helping the rebellion, helping the protagonists, the rebel alliance that for all of these decades, you know, the United States has loved and he is helping, yet he is automatically distrusted mm. because of where he came from. And I don't think we really see that in Star Wars and other places. So yeah, I, I think it's significant and I think it's a good statement too. Again, it's not super explicit, but like Muslims around the world undergo torture, imprisonment, killings, genocide, like everywhere, not just in the United States, but China, Myanmar, you know, all of these different places. And so having this in there and you clearly see someone who 
is opposing the Empire, right? Mm-hmm. Saw Gerrera is opposing the Empire. Ostensibly on the right side. Mm-hmm, exactly. And you see him doing this to this character for no reason other than he biasly distrusts him. And I think Rizwan Ahmed does, like, just such a good job at playing him, too, Mm. because compared to Jin or Cassian, he doesn't have as much screen time at all. Mm -hmm. But his portrayal of that character and, like, those aspects, like, stuck with me and, um, yeah, made an impact, even even though he wasn't on screen as much as I would have liked. Yeah, he's always been a really, really fascinating character. And I think that your read here is really, really compelling, very, very eye-opening for me of such an apt metaphor for how America sees itself as well on the right side, but that we will do evil things unabashedly when we consider it necessary mm-hmm. for what we consider the greater good. That's very much what Saw Gerrera is doing in this case. And yeah, for it to be targeted at a character who's being portrayed by a Muslim man from with Pakistani ancestry when we are at war in that region mm-hmm. and target and, and utilize our terror compounds to target people from that region, mm-hmm. I think is, is very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a semi ironic, like meta level where if we're looking at the empire, would the US be like the empire? Would they be like the rebel alliance? Let's be real. They would be like the empire. Right. Yeah. And so at best, we are like <laughs> Saw Gerrera, the frankly Extremist. terrorist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think people looking at this understand where we as Americans stand in these dynamics but uh, I still um for the the other level of Bodhi's character and the actor they chose to play him cutting across some of the typical casting for Mm -hmm. Star Wars um and and not just Star Wars but basically Hollywood in general uh but then also yeah really kind of shaming us Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. as a country very interesting that's what I strive to do Chris (laughs) well I'm gonna pick up on that because my plot is basically the human supremacy of the empire Mm -hmm. and how that looks as we discussed when we were talking about how we couldn't find a quote, this is mostly implied in the movies themselves. The mm-hmm. kind of supremacist systems that undergird the operations of the Empire. Mm-hmm. In the original trilogy, we basically just see white British men in charge. <laughs> of course. Yeah, which fits pretty well. Uh, <laughs> I mean, some of them could be Americans, but we like to think of we rebelled against the British. <laughs> yeah, and and I find it interesting, though, that they, they have those accents because Star Wars had to basically create this concept that core world accents is the equivalent of British accents in our <laughs> world. Because... Yeah. All the Imperial people, you know, had that in the original trilogy and they had to kind of explain like why they why? did and Han and Luke didn't and Leia did half the time for why some reason. Why do the villains sound British <laughs> and the protagonists sound American? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> no subtle messaging there. Yeah. So I think that's interesting. And, and you know, this was the 1970s. So at that point it was leaning into just tropes. I'm surprised they weren't German. Yeah. <laughs> German or Russian. Yeah, right. That would have been... <laughs> 
but yeah, so so we don't see that. But critically, we do not see any aliens in the Imperial establishment. We mm-hmm. uh, And we do see them in the Rebellion. We don't see as many, but we do see some. And I think that that is, yeah, a, a distinction that shows that one group is making a choice, that there's a systemic problem that makes it so that only one group of people are being represented. Mm-hmm. We also, this wasn't really, I think, explicit in any movies, but for sure when I was growing up, well before the prequels, I knew ideas of Chewie and Han's relationship being about a life debt that had to do with the enslavement of Wookiees, and so that was ultimately made explicit in Solo. And then we also see the Stormtrooper armor in the original trilogy, where the Stormtrooper armor is is uniform, and it, it serves to dehumanize the soldiers, and dehumanize them in, in two ways. One, to their enemies, so that, you know, we don't see them as humans, but it's also that within the system they exist within, and they serve within, they are dehumanized. They are yeah. shown to be replaceable and without pers- personality or identity beyond this mass role that they, they serve. And... There are no different body types there. No, it's one sort of armor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that also implies, especially in a universe like Star Wars, that... Where people have multiple arms. Exactly. Or are like two feet tall. Or yeah. 12 feet tall. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Again, they're, they're implying these kinds of systemic issues in ways that may or may not have been intentional, but I think can very much be read clearly from the text of the movies. I think that the prequels did start to uh, highlight more of that because the prequels showed a diverse republic. Mm -hmm. They showed a diverse Jedi Council. They showed how the highest levels of the galaxy before the Empire was diverse. It did have multiple different species and they all had access to power in these really, really crucial ways. And something changed to lead to the Empire. And so within just episode one coming out, there's already such a distinct change in the way that the universe is is represented that it's very, very easy to understand that, oh, this came with hierarchies and that these things have been kind of built into a new hierarchy of imperial control by mostly white humans with mm-hmm. British accents, <laughs> um, which I think is, is really, really interesting. Well, it's kind of interesting too. Normally you would think the Empire would rather use some other species that they've enslaved Mm. as their soldiers because as many can die as happen and they don't care. Mm -hmm. But then I think the clones create this kind of perfect out for them where they can have human bodies and like the humans can be seen as the ones coming in to these different planets and like so you still know who is conquering you you know but Mm. there's this huge supply so again it doesn't matter if they die or not yeah absolutely and it it is interesting that the actor who plays Django Fett and thus all the clones is himself of mixed race Maori descent and so he is in some ways not white um Mm -hmm. So, you know, there, there's an element there, but he is still certainly humanoid, though clones have biologically been altered in ways that make them age twice as quickly. 
Um, oh, that's right. They've also been genetically engineered to be more basically susceptible to orders and such. They've been genetically changed to have terrible aim. Yes, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Although they, I think stormtroopers had worse aim than the, than the clone troopers, but yeah. But yes, I, th- I think that, that, that you're hitting on really interesting ideas of when there's this transfer to the Empire, why is it that they don't use as, you know, kind of cannon fodder style things other races or other species? Is it because they the stormtrooper is still a symbol of the Empire and they want that symbol to be human? I think that yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question. Yeah, because if you need that many bodies... You can't really have a future of just humanity, right? Because you got a lot of them killed off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, and I mean, those kind of questions of what uh, being a supremacist costs in economics and labor markets and other kinds of things, I think, Mm -hmm. are are interesting and clearly they don't get into. One last thing I do want to bring up about this idea, though, of, of the empire as kind of these human supremacists is that... Throughout most of the movies, this has been something that has been, as I mentioned, put on to white men as the leaders of the Empire. And recently, there have been, alongside with the the kind of increased diversity of roles in Star Wars, where they're not just only hiring white actors for basically every role, (laughs) um, that is included in Imperial roles. So we see, for example, in The Mandalorian, Moff Gideon is Juan Carlos Esposito, who's a black man. In a couple recent video games, there have been Imperial pilots who have been uh, women of color. Eden Virgo and Teresa Carroll, I think, are their names. And so you see more diversity in these, these characters, but I wonder if that is in of itself a way of watering down what the Empire should actually stand for. I think then it's making it seem like, oh, the only reason that we saw white people, only white people in these older movies, is because the other people of color weren't there, as opposed to they were excluded through systemic policies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I think that it is important to consider whether racism as we understand it would exist in Star Wars. and. Well, as much as I think that representation is, is great and that having more characters who uh, represent more races and ethnicities in our world is great, I think it's also important to do so in a way that is... Intentional. Intentional, exactly. Yeah. Um, and that if you're going to have a character who's played by a woman of Indian descent and whose physical features match that kind of phenotypical heritage in our world what would that mean for her role as a pilot in the empire mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and i've noticed this happen not just in star wars but in a lot of things mm-hmm. um more recently it's like yes it's good you know that that we're getting more diverse actors to play characters and more diverse people on screen but yeah how intentional are people being and like what it means for a person of color to be in this leadership position on this side i mean obviously as we well know there are people of color who are a part of the republican party Mm -hmm. you know there are people who are putting things into law in ways that 
disadvantage and oppress the racial, ethnic, gender, whatever community that they come from. Mm -hmm. Um, So we know that that does happen. But again, if it's just like people are cast and there's no conversation around it, there's there's nothing intentional built into the story or plot or like not even just the story or plot, but like into the world itself. Yeah, it can. It implies that those systems don't exist. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And yeah, I think that does more harm because it's not true (laughs) in our world. And so I think it's important, you know, seeing Moff Gideon being a black man and a Moff in the Empire Mm -hmm. in The Mandalorian, like, what did it mean for him to get one of the highest ranking Imperial positions? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How was his experience different from Moff Tarkin's? Yeah, totally. But we should move on into our compelling questions. So my question for you is, where do you see positive representations of race and negative representations of race in the Star Wars movies? Well, negative representations are pretty easy to point out. (laughs) Yep. A few that come to mind are how Tusken Raiders are Mm -hmm. a stand-in for pretty awful stereotypes about many Middle Eastern peoples and Bedouins and, and folks like that. Mm-hmm. Neomodians, awful caricatures of East Asian people. Right. I was like, who were the voice actors of these characters? White men. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, we'll I pretend to have what their direction was. I when don't they were, even yeah, know. It's, With the, like, so super... Oh, and if you don't know Nemoidians, they were the people in charge of the Trade Federation and mm. in the prequel movies, and so it's, like, their physical characteristics, super flat faces, personality characteristics. It's, like, they're known for their business skills. Mm-hmm. They're, like, greedy and deceitful and cowardly. <laughs> like, Yeah, very wow. much, like... 1980s mm-hmm. fear of the rise of Japan in business kind of right. anxieties. So bad. Up there. Yeah. Yeah. Another one from episode one is Watto. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is yeah. just an awful Watto caricature is. of a Jewish person. Watto being the Toydarian who owns Anakin and Shmi Skywalker mm-hmm. and is on Tatooine in episode one. Yeah, I didn't know if they were going for, like, Jewish or Middle Eastern in general. I wasn't sure. But either way, bad. Yeah, I've I've seen many people in the Jewish community talk about how he is a really awful representation of a lot of stereotypes of theirs. But, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there are other groups too. But yeah, him being greedy, him having a hooked nose, him just lots An of things. An accent. An accent, yeah, the mm-hmm. accent, yeah. It's it's just bad. Another bad one are the um, Geonosians. Okay. Because they're like insects, mm-hmm. right? But the public leader, who's also a warlord, is Poggle the Lesser, who talks in a click language, mm. right? Which click languages are mainly in Southern Africa. Hmm. And so then now you're not only having that in the language, but they're depicted as insects. That are just wholesale slaughtered yeah. by the Jedi. And that's fine. Yeah. 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 Bad. 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 Real bad. Real bad. Yeah. So... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we had a lot of negative ones. A lot of negative a ones. A lot of racism here. <laughs> so positive ones. I mean, I am a 
mixed race white Latinx man. Mm-hmm. And so growing up, I never had any problem seeing myself in Luke or Han. So I can't speak from personal experience, but I know from reading and talking to friends that I have who are people of color that having Lando Calrissian as a character mm -hmm. was a huge deal. Yeah. And having it be some, you know, a character who is charming and likable and suave. Successful. And successful and capable. Yeah, yeah. And in Star Wars and, and flying the Millennium Falcon and blowing up Death Star 2. Like, it mm -hmm. was, you know, that's that's a huge deal. And so I think that that's a, a really, really great example. I think that Mace Windu is an interesting example because he's just so Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> To the extent that they literally made up a lightsaber color for him because he wanted a purple lightsaber. <laughs> but still, having a black Jedi is... is Jedi Master. Jedi, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Jedi mm -hmm. Master is, I think, a, uh, a really great thing. The fact that he's mostly known for his, like, aggressive fighting isn't great. I didn't know that until you said that before. And I was like, oh, that's sad. Yeah, admittedly, I guess that is a more extended universe stuff. Mm -hmm. But... Yes. But, I mean, really, just so much of the cast of Rogue One is amazing. Yeah. And I know we've talked about this pr probably on mic, definitely off mic, uh, <laughs> but how having Chirrut and Baze be two East Asian men have very different characteristics and who Absolutely. have a friendship and who, like, there it's not token representation. It's just representation. Mm -hmm. It's just two men who I think are, are adding a lot to the character of the movie and to the setting and, and to all these other kinds of things in ways that are just so dynamic and not just like, well, we haven't hired an Asian person yet, so <laughs> we're going to do that now. <laughs> right, right. Because if it was only true, like, it could be just fall into the stereotypical mm. monk martial artist um totally wise semi-mystical right but you have bays there to completely balance that out where he's just this like big dude with this huge gun <laughs> and like armor and, like, just carrying on a turret that he just right? holds <laughs> and like he doesn't believe in the force whatever yeah, you know yeah. um yeah having that balance yeah i i do really appreciate that Obviously, I've already talked about Rose and, like, intersectionally with, with our gender episodes, so um, there's definitely that there, too. But she's just an amazing character, for yeah. sure. And, and I think Cassian was really powerful for a lot of people as well. I agree. And I was like, finally, you know, we have, like, a Latinx person in Star Wars because apparently, I mean... It was both. It was like finally a Latinx person mm -hmm. and also East Asian and, and South, South Asian. Asian. Yeah. yeah. It was just like, ah, oh, my soul can breathe a little bit. And one of the things I do actually appreciate about that as well is that they all have their actual accents. That they were not pressured mm -hmm. to americanize or britishize these accents to fit in with you know what star or, wars is or force a accent that they didn't have mm -hmm. yeah right yeah yeah and i think that's great because i i remember at the time there being conversations about why does cassian sound so different where is he from mm -hmm. that he has this accent and who cares yeah who Sorry. cares it's <laughs> you know this is one of those times when the 
setting can be weaponized against mm-hmm. representation. And I think that's that's always really problematic. And so having, yeah, these characters, you know, if you are someone who speaks with an accent and you hear that in Star Wars, you don't just see someone who looks like you, but you hear some, someone who sounds like you mm-hmm. unabashedly, that's awesome. Yeah, totally. Well, should we move on to my question for you? Yeah, let's do it. We've talked already about how in Star Wars, there's this kind of speciesist aspect that at times kind of stands in for racism and structural racism in particular. So I was wondering what you see as the utility of that as a metaphor and what and, and the limits of that as a metaphor. Yeah, I think probably some of the limits are coming to my mind first because I'm cynical. <laughs> <laughs> some of the things that would be against other species versus by a, a human supremacist point of view would be based off of ability. And so that's not race. So if everyone in that species is seven inches tall, yeah, if if we're looking at certain limitations that they would have functioning in a society that is built for, you know, people who are the average human height, whatever that is, then yeah, there there's going to be extreme disadvantages. But that's based on their species, but it's based on their ability. So mm-hmm. I think it, it gets a little messier. Uh, I think also it can be difficult because if you're showing this human supremacy and until very recently, almost everybody in charge is white man, and then you have speciesism that's going on towards other people if you're going to say that's a metaphor for race then it's like you're saying people of other races are different species Mm -hmm. and they're aliens right Uh, which is real problematic yeah also because we are humans everything is always going to be written from the human perspective and then you're going to be like oh how do we explain this species to humans so Mm. they can understand it so the perspective is always going to be off and you can never get out of that Mm -hmm. those would be some of the limitations i think some of the utility would be to yeah actually show structural issues sometimes it can be clearer when you're watching something you know you know how people like to point to the the person who like is the exception you know Mm -hmm. it's like well yeah but my black friend has a better job than i do so (laughs) so racism doesn't exist exactly exactly you can't do that the same way because you can't be like well my alien friend you know you just you can paint more clearly the actual structures of oppression whether it's something as intense and overt as genocide to something that's like you don't have a job opportunity in the empire Mm. because you can't fit this uniform and that's the standard for them right so i think there's ways in which it can be done more clearly but um it wasn't really done that way so (laughs) I'm, i'm sure there could be a fair amount of utility right i mean i think this is similar genre different property um the the movie district nine it has a really interesting compelling metaphor for how people treat refugees and it 
can be really challenging and really shaming, which is good. You know, mm-hmm. we should be challenged and shamed for how we treat refugees. That's part of the point of what they were doing, but in Star Wars, it has not been that way. Yeah. What were you thinking? Yeah, you hit on the main points. In... Sorry, I took everything away from you. <laughs> you what even do, do you have to say? <laughs> <laughs> well, to add to your, your points, I think that, as you mentioned, the limits of how there actually are different species in Star Wars Galaxy means that you can't use race in the same metaphor because in our world, race is a construct. Race Mm -hmm. is created and has historically been created and changed over time and and all these other kinds of things, which, you know, it doesn't have a basis in biological fact. Yeah. Which is just not the case when you have (laughs) actual different species. Yeah. Um, and, And that, I think can be harmful because one of the first hurdles that we in our world experience when we have to try to dismantle systemic racism is dismantling those who do believe in biological determinism, who do believe that this is something that is scientific and biological and not culturally produced. Because once you realize and understand how race is created and maintained and developed over time by different peoples and structures, you have more ability to dismantle that. Absolutely. On the other side, on on your conversation about how the utility comes with kind of seeing in really, really kind of stark vividness how these systemic forces can be at play. Yeah, it it made me think a bit about, you know, it, it kind of boils things down to a simplistic view where Wookiees are enslaved because they are big and strong. So that makes them easier in some ways to be commodified for those traits. Mm-hmm. And as everything, this is intersectional, but women and particular women of color in our world are then often commodified due to the biological traits that they have. But we've also, talking about race being constructed, we have put on ideas to African slaves in the United States and other and other countries and and states that have enslaved people of African descent saying that, oh, they are naturally more strong and less intelligent and more obedient and and these other kinds of things that were placed on them, which again, this shows the limits that none of these are true. It's a constructed narrative so that you can justify what you're doing. Exactly. Yeah. But at least we can see the empire, even if they're doing things that are actually accurate when there are differences in species, but we see the commodification that they're doing. We see mm-hmm. how they are objectifying people and commodifying them and making them into un- inhuman tools in the way they conceive of them and the way they, they utilize them. So I think that is is useful um, and can help to, yeah, be a metaphor that makes people think about things even on a surface level that are important things to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, not a, a, a perfect application, but it kind of reminds me when I was in a biblical studies class in college, we were looking at the parable of Lazarus and the, and the rich man. If you don't know the parable, basically the rich man's the worst. Lazarus was sitting outside of his huge abode and died because he didn't have any food and the rich man had 
plenty and just didn't care, right? And so my my professor, I remember him talking about, this is written in a specific way. Lazarus is named. That means we, the reader, cannot be Lazarus. We can only be the rich man. Mm. And so it's like, if Star Wars would, could, you know, kind of harness that, it's like the villains are the humans, they're, you know, the imperialists, everyone else are different species you know it's like we can't be them you know if we're looking at a global scale like we can only be the imperialists we Mm -hmm. can be the colonizers we can be the people in power um who are participating in enslaving a lot of a lot of the world and yeah yeah some things could be interesting tools that that could be used but aren't necessarily (laughs) (laughs) the potential utility exactly Exactly. that's why we have podcasts like this (laughs) (laughs) yeah well let's get into our missed opportunities sure it's basically the culmination of part of the conversation of just like when you have an entire galaxy and you have a huge budget and you have multiple hours of multiple movies you can really do good world building work so that it does reflect and challenge some of the things in our own society yeah it's just it's just a missed opportunity when they don't take those tools and use them well or like you were talking about like intentionally cast people yeah you have to wait until rogue one 2000 whatever when it came out to have an East Asian person or two cast, you know, or a South Asian person cast. Like, you have to wait so long to have a Latinx person cast. Like, it makes sense in the context of this racist society that we live in. But when you're looking at something that is an entirely other galaxy, it should be so much more representative of the world. Mm. Four of the top five most populous countries are in Asia. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like to not have these things to, you know, Chirut is the only semi-Asian Jedi we have. Like he's not even a Jedi. Never had a Latinx one. Is there anybody indigenous? You know, like we don't have, there's so much representation that we don't have. And in movies that are as big as they are, you have this big opportunity. Take it. Do something good with it. You know, help society along to change in positive ways. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. That's my missed opportunity. <laughs> Just that. Just that. That's all. <laughs> Just what the about... entire premise and <laughs> what about... way that Disney handles the property. Well, I mean, no, Disney. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, what about you? For mine, I kind of want to add on to some of the conversation about the rise of Skywalker. For one, obviously, Rose was... It's it's unspeakable. Yeah, it's, it's I, I can't I don't have the words. I could have spent the, the entire episode just complaining <laughs> exactly. about that, but I've done that enough, so that's why like I had to mention her, yeah. but that was it. Yeah. I cut myself off. I had self control. To say the least, not only a missed opportunity, but a travesty what was Absolutely. done with her character in that movie. But I also think that there is a missed opportunity with how Finn was handled, even in The Force Awakens, because the first trailer that came out where we saw Finn take his stormtrooper helmet off in the Mm -hmm. desert and all the white supremacist nerds out there were like oh 
a black person is going to be the main character, like, uh, you know, SJWs are taking over and ruining Star Wars and all this really, really awful stuff, which unfortunately I think distracted us from the potential of that moment because Finn is the only stormtrooper that we see with his helmet off hmm. in the entire saga. Hmm. There's a lot there that could have been discussed. You know, this goes yeah. back to my idea of, of how there could be intentionality behind the way that actual race as we understand it is handled in the Empire and the First Order. And parallels to military tactics, right? Totally. And so, yeah, what would it mean if the Empire, for example, did want to have stormtroopers, their, their symbol, to be human, but to still be entirely covered because they were the humans that they found most expendable, who are mm. people who are not mm -hmm, white. Mm -hmm. um, that, I think, would be an interesting dynamic that would show how oftentimes these fascist dictatorships are i mean fascism is inherently nationalistic and nativist which means that they they define others and i think that often goes within their community as well so defining others as being non-white within that kind of fascist empire would make sense to me and mm -hmm. finding utility for them as brainwashed soldiers yeah that's that's interesting yeah. and mm -hmm. They just didn't go there with that. The only other person that we really see is is Captain Phasma. You know, when, when her helmet gets exploded, we see that she's white-skinned. And, and I, I love Gwendolyn Christie. I think she did a fairly good job with the role. But there also wasn't a lot written for her there. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just think that, that Finn as a black man and the first of his kind of character that we see, and certainly who becomes heroic, is a missed opportunity because there, there could be such a uh, compelling exploration of race as it exists in our society, the society that these movies are being made in, in a deeper way. After you saying that, now I'm kind of like thinking about what that could mean for The Empire Strikes Back when Vader comes in and just does whatever he wants mm. with this city that Lando was leading. He makes a deal with him and then he alters the deal, you know, and like just this kind of attitude of I can do whatever I want. You assume, or I assumed, <laughs> that it was, well, yeah, because he's powerful and he treats anyone that way besides the emperor, right? Mm. But yeah, if there could be racial elements there, that would be interesting as well. Yeah, yeah. And something that would be really interesting to think about from Lando's perspective, too, of mm -hmm. the empires here. They have overwhelming force. We've been on their radar for a bit, but now I have to reckon with how I'm going to interact with this group that is hostile, but there are different levels of enslavement, essentially, that mm -hmm. and unfreedom that we could have. Yeah, that'd be very interesting. Yeah. I think my takeaway is, actually, now that you brought up Vader, is he's kind of been on my mind, in, in the back of my mind, in a lot of this conversation, when thinking about representation in our society. Because mm -hmm. Vader is known for his amazing look, which is a costume. It's mm -hmm. a mask and a cloak and things like that. But then for his voice. His voice, yeah. Which is James Earl Jones, a mm -hmm. black man. And in Return of the Jedi, we see that there's... A white man underneath in the prequels white actors playing him and and i suppose that that could be due in part to you know he's Luke luke's Leia. father mm -hmm. so they're white he's white you know but i think what, what's on my mind is what does that mean in regards for racial politics and representation because mm -hmm. 
is it great that James Earl Jones is a part of Star Wars? That when you they were looking for a compelling villain, that they went to someone of his caliber. But is it a problem that he is never shown on screen? He's represented through voice and not mm-hmm. through physicality. And then ultimately, when his character that he voiced is given physical representation, the skin color of those actors is white. Mm-hmm. All of these, I think, are just questions in my mind. And so um, I guess my takeaway is I would be really interested in, in doing more research on what, in particular, the Black community has kind of written about and talked about in regards to that representation and where that could have been better and what in that might be celebrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what's your takeaway? Yeah, I think my takeaway is just that Star Wars movies specifically, but I think even the TV shows, I mean, definitely with Mandalorian, the way they haven't really addressed these issues of of structural inequalities and oppression, I think it's just kind of emblematic of the United States. Mm -hmm. You can have a moment where it's like, oh, slavery, bad, but that's it. It's not looking at anything else, just like, oh, that's bad. Well, we stopped that in our country, so, well, which one is not true? But, um, (laughs) (laughs) so then it's fine, and I don't know what people are complaining about. Yeah, I think it just kind of mirrors this attitude of, oh, no, like, oppression's wrong, oh, the empire's wrong, but, like, not taking a competent look at these structures that different peoples benefit from within the country and then as a country how we Americans benefit from these structures globally. It's just we would rather have the action than the time spent to build up what this galactic society looks like. Yeah, yeah, we... we... We never are shown, particularly in the original trilogy, the how the Empire is evil. We're just told the Empire is evil. (laughs) Literally in the opening crawl, the evil Empire and (laughs) the heroic, like, rebellion. They're killing people. Oh, wait, I thought we saw rebels kill more people (laughs) than we really see the Empire doing. So, yeah, we just, we're just dropped in into this this fight between good and evil and mm-hmm. we are not shown that evil the closest we come really is the destruction of Alderaan and that's awful but mm-hmm. when we see it from you know a plaster globe being blown up and that's all we see we don't see it even <laughs> from the perspective of those who are on Alderaan you know it changes things a little bit more well and it keeping power through fear is not the same as keeping power because you have legislated mm-hmm. you to keep power, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think that you're, you're absolutely right how there there kind of becomes this divorce from the actual implications and processes through which these kinds of inequalities exist. Yeah. I wish America would dig deeper into these things <laughs> and Star Wars. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> Maybe as America... <laughs> Does Star Wars will follow suit? <laughs> we'll see. The most optimistic <laughs> endpoint you can bring to the show. Thank you. Yeah. Such a strong statement. No question mark implied. No. Nope. <laughs> so what will we be talking about next week? 
So next week, instead of returning to Harry Potter, we are going to be doing a special episode and it is going to be on the TV show, The Good Place. So if you have not watched it yet, go do that because it is excellent. It is on Netflix right now and Yeah, spoiler alert, we like the show a lot. So uh, <laughs> I imagine our conversation will be quite positive and we definitely encourage you to, to watch the show beforehand so you can listen to us gush about how much we love this show. If you have not watched the show, do not listen to our episode because we will give everything away. Yeah. And spoilers are bad. But the good place isn't. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. You can find links to our social media and our website in the episode description. We also hope that you join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines, where you can help keep the show sustainable and get access to all sorts of extra content. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pestel at Lazelip for designing our logo. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out! <laughs>